Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I am your host, Ken Seymour, with your other host, Richard Geiger. Well, hello. We are ecstatic to have you back with us today, and we have another fun-filled episode with a variety of amazing topics and wonderful thought concepts and maybe some dancing. You won't see the dancing because this is all audio, but it will be great nonetheless, I I assure you. I'm dancing right now. Absolutely. So we are going to, first of all, be talking to the fantastic Casey Ross, who is the creator, the originator of Arcade Fire, The Redemption of Billy Mitchell, a, a play that is is one of a kind and should definitely be seen to be believed. We will be talking just a little bit about the importance of shopping cart etiquette. I know those two don't sound like they go together, but I swear they don't go together whatsoever. Nope. And we will probably be ending up talking just a little bit about some news in the comic book industry, specifically within DC and some potential changes that might be coming around the way. Mm. Now, before we get too far, don't forget that it is easy enough to find us on any of your social media outings if you get the hankering to do so. We are at Real Pudding Guys on Twitter. We are at Pudding Guys on Facebook and Instagram. We even have a website with some forums that also includes our ultimate comic movie database with all the information that you could possibly need about comic book movies and things that go with them. And then, of course, the potentially most important part, we are even on Patreon where for just a dollar a day, you can help support the Pudding Guys as we bring you awesome people and awesome equipment. <laughs> so, speaking of hankering, do you remember the um, Saturday morning cartoons where they did the little snippets? Absolutely. And, and then there was one, Hanker for a Hunka. Hanker for a Hunka Cheese. My 10-gallon hat feels 10 gallons flat. Oh, yeah. That, good stuff. That's burnt into the memory. Slice or slab or chunk of. <laughs> speaking of something that should burn into your memory... Welcome, Casey Ross. Hello. We are just so happy to have you with us today. I uh, I have to say this is uh, always a thrill. I know we uh, we had a chance to catch up with you and the crew about a, a year ago, and I, I'm I'm ecstatic to see a little bit of the history uh, that we didn't get to talk about before, and then kind of see what's happened since since we uh, saw you last. Yeah, sure. I oh my gosh. It's- it has been a year. I can't believe it has mm, been. Um, right. That is wild to think about. <laughs> yeah. Time just kind of flies. So one of the things that I didn't get to, to, to ask because uh, of how things were set up last time, and that kind of just struck me, seeing how you had everything set up, I, I would love to know, how did you kind of come up with the, the concept of, of this as a musical? Where did that particular inspiration come from? Um, so that particular story, I always say it's not the most interesting part of the arc here, but um, I was on the third date with my boyfriend, who I am still currently with, and he put on King of Kong, and I do a theater festival every single year that I write a piece for, and I had actually written a, um X-Men parody musical, and my guy who was playing the main character, who is a copyright-safe Wolverine character named Badger, um, had to drop out because he was uh, actually going to be having his first baby. So, you know, fair reason to drop out of a play. And um, I was already entered into the festival, and I didn't want to pull out. I didn't want to not do a show. And I looked up and was met with the uh, stunning visage of uh, Mr. William Mitchell and kind of decided that that guy needed to be a musical. So I 
set out to write a musical in about four months. <laughs> wow. So how, when you want to create that, how, okay, so you, you've created it and there, there's more to it just like, oh, I sat down and I wrote it, but you had to get in touch with Billy Mitchell and you had to say, hey, I want to do this and I want to have it all over the place. Is that cool? Like, how right. do you, how do you, how do you get in contact with someone who, you know, for the most part at the time, kind of stuck to himself? Um, so originally when I set out to write it, it was going to be more of a parody of the documentary. And I found uh, very quickly upon doing some research and just looking up more information about him online, that there was actually already a uh, King of Kong musical that existed mm-hmm. um, and that he had gone to it. So I kind of just tracked down the various avenues of social media, and for lack of a better uh, description, I stalked the man for a couple months and uh, got the phone number of one of his good friends who owns the Kong Off, and uh, he was playing a round of Donkey Kong in the Kong Off, and I called his buddy Richie Knuckles on Facebook Messenger and got to talk to him. I got a uh, very... Uh, you talk and I listen and I made my pitch to him and the rest is kind of history. Uh, six months later, he was at the Indianapolis airport ready to see a show. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's such a quick turnaround. It, it, it's, it's both quick and, and, and not quick. I, I would feel like I would kind of, um, it would drive me a little, a little, um, the stress. That's that's the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. The stress might be uh, significant <laughs> in, in putting that together. <laughs> I, I think maybe the distress is what fueled me to make sure it was a quality piece um, so quickly. Because um, I, you know, I, did, I didn't set up to hurt anybody's feelings. It is kind of a roast. It um, pokes fun at his very recent cheating scandal, which, you know, I'm sure is a sore subject in real life. But, um it's still, I think, handled with enough finesse that he can have fun with it. And I did want to make sure that I reached out to him early. So maybe the uh, the pressure to, to make it good kind of uh, fueled me and put me under the gun enough to make it as uh, successful as it was. <laughs> now, you've, you've done this performance, uh, gosh, at a lot of different places that did you expect when you were writing this that it was going to continue and go stronger and stronger and get more and more places and more and more like what was this was this thought in your head that it was going to keep going like this uh not at all it was i mean as you can imagine like once i had gotten into contact with bill you you have to go through his management and he is represented with bag afra and i had to raise a lot of money um to to bring him out the initial time because you know he's he's a pretty famous guy and he's not going to just get on a plane and go to the midwest for uh you know no no promise of safety um so it was quite a commitment to do this and it was my 10th fringe festival uh, as a playwright locally so i kind of wanted to do something go big or go home if will um, so I really was expecting this to kind of be like a, a one-shot thing that was super cool for the 10th anniversary and then um, kind of part ways with Bill and never see him again. But uh, we just we really clicked. Uh, he got this tremendous score back that was actually contested in the cheating scandal at Tapper's opening night of the show. Mm. And 
it it just kind of blew up on the internet quicker than I could say no to it blowing up. Um, and so we very quickly restaged it locally in a uh, full length version because with Fringe, uh, you have to do a, uh, a shorter piece. So it's a 60 minute show. So we've since extended it to a full 90 minute show uh, that we'll do now at different conventions. And we're kind of getting our sea legs as far as being able to uh, bring it around to things so we can actually premiere at the Kong off and uh, maybe shoot, do it at Bill's restaurant, you know, all sorts of places that you wouldn't necessarily expect to see a musical. Yeah. Like you guys were at uh, Gen Con, not too, uh, it feels like it's we not were. too long ago. <laughs> I guess that was August. So, so it's, it's been it a was. little while, but uh, we are going to try to come back this year. Nothing is set in stone, but rocks are being pushed up the hill, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Now I was going to ask making all the calendars work. <laughs> oh yeah, no doubt that's got to be that's got to be difficult to say the least. Um, so the initial casting that you did to to fill out the parts to the play, have you managed to kind of maintain that cast throughout the performances so far, or have you had to go to uh, kind of a rotating uh, change up on the actors that are involved? So we have either two or three actors now that play each of the roles. And um, I, I kind of say that everybody stays in rotation as well. Um, no actor has like left the show because they no longer want to do it. Um, it'll be like a work conflict or they'll get cast in something else and they'll, they'll go away for a little bit. So we've had different amalgamations of the cast. We maintained our original cast for quite a while. Um, but now we have... Um, another cast that has taken over the roles and we've done different incarnations thereof. So I think I've had, um, I've had two guys play Billy. I have had uh, three guys play Weeby. We have had five play Walter. That's kind of one of uh, Walter Day's favorite fun facts <laughs> is uh, we cannot keep a Walter Day for the life of us. Um, and then we have had uh, three play Nicole Weeby and uh, two play Brian too. Well, that's that's kind of the fun part because then you get some some different interpretations uh, to be able mm-hmm. to get some some extra <laughs> flavor in there, right? Yeah, yeah, it's been uh, it's been fun to kind of switch out people and see different combos thereof, and uh, also just grow the show with the guys because the show itself has changed as um, some of the information about I call it main gate affectionately um, has come out and. Uh, you know, different legalities have come about with that as well. Like, I, I do try to stay in touch with Bill about where the lines are drawn and what the limits are, you know, versus parody and right. what is what is legally okay right now. Well, for, for those of our listeners that may not be completely aware, describe a little bit about what that that is and how it affected the play in any way that you can that won't get you into any trouble. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I, I actually, I, I think I'm pretty good at these kind of responses now. Um, I know my limits. So a couple of years ago when I started writing it, I actually started writing this piece the very month that the first video came out on YouTube accusing Bill of uh, cheating at Donkey Kong. And, uh, Three of his scores were contested, and people said that he played not on a genuine arcade machine, but on a main emulator, which would mean that he could uh, save state his games. He could slice together multiple games to get a better score, um, so it would appear on the uh, submitted tapes. And, you know, basically just pull a fast one to submit a higher score. Um, So that 
footage was fairly, I guess you could say, damning, and his scores were thrown out by Twin Galaxies, which is the adjudication system for um, classic arcade games kind of worldwide recognized by Guinness. Um, because all of that was happening, it kind of gave me a new uh, subject to write a Billy Mitchell play because, like I had mentioned earlier, there was that other Billy Mitchell musical that came out that was following the plot of King of Kong, so I just kind of needed something different. Mm. And I thought this would be a little bit gutsier, more modern, um, almost a follow-up to the characters of King of Kong, and so I think I would be in less, I guess, sort of permission-needing territory from the film as well. Right. And um, so, yeah, I... I got in touch with Bill before I was completely finished with the play. Um, and originally he was a lot harsher in the show than he was after I spoke to him on the phone. But he was uh, he was so pleasant and willing to play along with us and even, like, ended our phone call by just saying, like, hey, don't tell anybody I was nice to you about this. Like, I got a reputation to maintain. <laughs> and I was, I was kind of... I was kind of too charmed to uh, take it out as hard on him as I was initially going to. So I rewrote the play and um, kind of made it my mission to actually bring him out to see it. So it it changed the play quite a lot, I would guess. (laughs) I would assume so. So kind of touching a little bit. So he's got his own, um, like he's got a representation from, uh, from an agency um, how does that interaction work on a you know month to month basis? Because uh, we don't we don't know like you know Ken and I we don't we don't know about the behind the scenes of that type of stuff too because no. that's a different behind the scenes section. Yeah. Um, so I mean, Billy obviously goes around and he does lots of conventions and lots of gaming expos. Um, he'll do uh, like Southern Fried Gaming Expo, which is one of the biggest arcade expo that's coming up. Uh, oh my gosh, this coming month um, in California. So like he does all those shows anyway, and he just had kind of been on his regular circuit. So he knows to like toss me quickly to a manager. Uh, so when I got him on the phone at the Kong off, he uh, he gave me all the contact info for his manager, and I I I've never told him this, but I kind of feel like that was my test. Um, if I can get through the manager and I could actually get him booked, he was going to show up at my show. Um, so I think that was kind of my first like good foot in the door with Bill was to uh, just go about the proper avenues of sending like good, well-designed imaging and making sure I was staying within like what I can and cannot talk about. Like he made very reasonable requests of me, like don't make fun of my wife and kids and your musical, like very reasonable things that I just, I tried to adhere to and make sure that I was keeping in contact with him as I went uh, to not step on any toes. So that's uh, kind of how I went about that as time went on. I, I stayed in touch more, maybe more than a typical convention planner would with them. Uh, you've kind of, because of all this, you know, dealing in, in some of the areas that you you weren't originally, you know, conversant with, and uh, you've kind of had to become a bit of an expert. Now, has that rubbed off uh, onto you in, in developing a maybe a greater love of some of those classic video games on top of everything else? Oh, definitely. I've always been, like, a big fan of uh, pop culture, and a lot of my work kind of um, deals with these ideologies of like what becomes of aging bits of culture when we just kind of throw it away with the ever modernizing 
world. Um, so, like, I mean, that it, it plays true in my first musical. I wrote about a uh, 1990s mall that is possessing its employees and literally sucking out their souls. Um, I have the comic book piece that will be coming out this year, um, and and you know now the arcade piece. So I I always had an appreciation, I guess, of pop culture, but never specifically video games. It as um, I'm also like a graphic artist and a painter, so it's, it's fun art to do. Like I can bring a lot of my artwork now to different video game shows. Um, I've designed some stickers with Bill uh, for the merch table, which is fun. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's a new plane to put theater to as well. I always tell uh, Billy's son, I think it's funny that the guys are playing on kind of these dying bits of technology, and I'm over here trying to produce a dying art. So maybe if we combine the retro gaming scene and the theater scene, we might have stronger audiences a little longer. It's kind of a a nice symbiology that I didn't quite expect. Yeah, and and I gotta say, just before we go too far, I think I worked at that mall you wrote about. I I seem to remember losing a good portion of my soul to the <laughs> was mall. it Circle Center? Uh, well, uh, you could say that I worked at Circle Center, and you would be accurate. Yeah, in any mall okay. USA, basically. Yeah. Yes. No, oh, it's it's we kind call of, it Hell's Gate in the play. Oh, that's that's about right. Have you been to Circle Center recently? Um. Yes. I worked there for quite a while. I uh, managed the hot topic for a bit, and then oh. I closed down my time at the Peabody. So, oh man, yeah. So that uh, that Nordstrom that was where I worked at one point. Oh, uh, so, oh man. So seeing that be the shell of itself and everything, uh, just just awful. Now that means that you were probably you were maybe there when this happened. That Circle Center Mall, while it may have its issues, did at one point have something that I didn't see anywhere else. It's not there anymore. But up on the third floor, it had an arcade, not a regular arcade, but it was filled with uh, Mech Warrior pods and uh, and uh, the, some racing games that was it was it was kind of intended to be its own uh, competitive thing. Were you ever uh, able to experience any of that? Um, yeah, I actually did see that, and I was even kind of around Circle Center, like, in the early days where they had the, like, Ben and Jerry's in the top floor, like, across the street from the little arcade, so, yeah, I I remember it fondly. (laughs) Well, Ben and Jerry's, uh, you don't see many of those, any of those anywhere, that's, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This is is quickly turning into the podcast of, man, uh, we're getting old. (laughs) By the way, for those of us, all the time. right? For those of you listening who don't know where Circle Center is, that is in downtown Indy. It is the mall that hangs out down there. Yeah, it's definitely the place you want to go to if you want a high-end mall where you also might get shot. <laughs> that is an accurate description. Uh, <coughs> pardon me, as a as I try and regain my composure uh, and, and stop myself from making multiple other jokes that might alienate people down the road. Uh, I, maintain positive relationships, positive all the way. That's what, that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, make no enemies. Good way to be. But so where do you envision this play going now that it's had the response that it's had and it's, and it's had this kind of, um, kind of, uh, uh, renaissance i don't know if that's the right word for it but just this kind of um 
the ability to to gain the interest that it's been able to gain, what do you envision to that this is going to become? Um, so we recently did a show in Bloomington, Illinois, and it was the first time that I had actually brought the whole cast and crew to a video game convention with me. Like I um I went to the actual Kong off and the video game hall of fame, but I kind of did that as solo trips as a writer. I assisted Billy and Walter with, you know, some of the events or like carrying a clipboard or whatever, but I wasn't actually bringing the show. Um, so this was the first time that like Bill was booked at this show. The musical was booked as its own entity and um, I got to bring my cast and the show seemed to be really elevated for those attendees because you had the vendors, you had panels. Um, Bill spoke at like an esports clinic. So like just giving some like tips on competitive gaming and streaming on Twitch and building your brand as a, as a competitive gamer um, with people who are interested in doing that. And um, then the musical did like Q and a sessions um, to kind of answer those, like how did this thing start questions? And then we would do the show every night at a little VR place that was pretty much catty corner to our convention. So I, I kind of see it as like maybe five times a year we can go to the larger shows that, that Billy attends or Brian Koo might attend, Walter might attend, meet up with our guys and, and stage the show in a unique setting where we're actually bringing it to the gamers and I'm bringing a theater in a different house that's not necessarily drawing from those same hundred or so people that see theater in Indianapolis because um, we have a really saturated theater scene here in the Midwest. Like we're right in between uh, Cincy and Chicago. Yeah. So um, there's, there's just a lot of theater here and it's hard to get an audience. And we have had really good luck getting these convention audiences. I mean, obviously Gen Con's like 80,000 people. So if you can get a hundred people and 80,000, you're not doing that great, but it looks great for a theater people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think I've, I think I've been in performances, uh, uh, both viewing and performing in where the audience is maybe not quite, uh, what we would have hoped. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, yes. But, I have certainly been there, but you still, you come out and, and, and it's, and it's all, it's all kind of, uh, over the top kind of, I always, always felt a little like PT Barnum and, and how you interact with the crowds. <laughs> Thank you all for coming out tonight. We're excited to have, you know, just kind of almost, uh, being possessed by, by the spirit of, uh, a combination of a <laughs> carnival barker and, and a DJ <laughs> trying to get, it's get a lot of, uh, pomp and circumstance and being on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, all right. So, You've talked a little bit about some of the other people that are in, involved with it, or at least other people that have kind of been around that are some of the other big gamers. Now, a lot of people know Billy Mitchell. Maybe not everybody knows some of the other uh, some of the other names uh, that are associated. Like you talked about Weeby a little bit. Who who, yeah. who are some of these people, and how do they relate to kind of the interaction? What makes them kind of interesting targets, inter interesting people? associated with the story um so steve weeby is actually the antagonist of the play um which is the opposite of what he is in the documentary that kind of made all these guys famous king of kong because um, he's very much the hero in that and billy's the bad guy um so early on i thought it was interesting to do the play from the flip side of that of redeeming billy mitchell as like he was the true gamer and and weeby was kind of the camera crew gamer um which it is true. 
Um, he actually grew up with the guys that made King of Kong, and they, they wrote it a certain way. It is a mockumentary, which is kind of little-known fact. Um, so Steve Weeby has not come to our show. We've tried to get in touch with him. I've sent him lots of like messages on Reddit and did the same thing with him that I've done with Bill, but to no avail. Um, Bill says he thinks I'm okay. Um, he's mentioned the show to Steve, and he's like, I don't think Steve has any interest in stopping you, but I don't have any interest in... Uh, you know, reaching back out. So that's where we are with Steve. Um, and then we have Brian Koo, who is, he's kind of the sidekick in the movie. So he's my, my Lynn, my main character in the play. Uh, we kind of experience everything through uh, young upstart Brian Koo in the musical. So it was very important to me to also have Brian out there, um, which Bill helped me out with early on. Uh, we got him out for actually the show that we met you guys with, um, the February production. He was just I think maybe the third or fourth day we were in performance, he showed up. He kind of crashes the party late. So mm -hmm. we got, had Brian out. Um, and then uh, Walter, who is the uh, creator of Twin Galaxies, the creator of the scoreboard, uh, scoreboard they all call him the father of eSports. He has been out to a few of our events. He uh, has come out to Gen Con, and he came out to the first run of the musical with Bill. Um, which was really cool because he presents trading cards to the gaming community that he also extended into our community and presented at Fringe. And we've just we've built a really, I guess, friendly and good rapport with the classic gamers. So it's very important to me to continue sponsoring them and having them sponsor us and working together with them because that's, I think, as much of the show as the actual performance is for me now. Well, perfect. Now, we have a special treat. Not only are we going to be able to uh, continue our fantastic conversation with Miss Casey Ross, but she was nice enough to be able to invite the amazing, the, the uh, Donkey Kong master, uh, Billy Mitchell, to the conversation. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Mitchell. Absolutely my pleasure, sir. I've been waiting for your call. Well, we were ecstatic to be able to talk to you about a year ago, uh, and uh, it was it was kind of uh, kind of one of the more surreal moments to not only to to meet somebody that's had such an impact on the the gaming industry, but also to be able to talk to you in a place that it looks like bodies may have been stored at one point. Uh, <laughs> I forgot about that. We were in the basement of Level Up Lounge. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's not what he should fear. He should fear who it is that put the bodies there. Mm, true story. <laughs> wow, <laughs> coming that, in dark. <laughs> that 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 is a good point. But uh, so now that this, uh, I want to call it a phenomena. I'm going to call it a phenomena. The phenomena of this uh, musical has been going on for a year. This um, this reflection of uh, an aspect of your history in in the classic gaming. Uh, uh, in uh, environment, uh, uh, the the world of classic gaming. What's has it been like to kind of see uh, this this uh, this take on everything? How has it how has it affected you? Well, I will say um, one of the things that I, I've always said. I said it. I said it. I've said it to so many people. I've given so much advice, and probably in this instance, more than any other time in my gaming and illustrious career 
that I thought back on my advice and I needed to take my advice is I always told people, whatever you're doing, whatever fun you're having, it doesn't matter whether people are. It doesn't matter if you like the fact that people are laughing or what they're enjoying. If they're laughing, you have to laugh with them. Okay? If I'm getting the kick out of the fact that I'm watching the musical and I'm laughing at the different people involved and I'm laughing at some of the characterizations and humors that are injected, you know, um, if I'm laughing at them, I have to learn to laugh at myself too. I have to learn to laugh at the funny predicaments that it shows me in and how I work my way through them. And it was actually fearful. I was of the different people that were in it. Yeah, Brian Coot was the one I I, I just kept shaking <laughs> my head and I looking even at, at Robbie Lakeman and saying, Brian is not going to go for this. And he goes, no, he's not. No, he's not. Well, one day, um, maybe it was the second round of the musical where we were, Brian was there. And I sat next to him on one side and Robbie on the other. We kept looking back and forth and Brian was in between us and he was laughing. And he was laughing and finding humor at everything that was directed his way. So mm-hmm. once again, I realized that I had to learn to laugh with everybody, including when the time was to laugh at myself. And and when you learn that, it makes everything a lot more enjoyable. Um, you know, if it was something that was real serious, if it was life, if it was family, if it was something that, you know, was too difficult or too precious, you probably might not laugh because you would have too much emotion involved in it. But this is gaming. It's what we do. It's theater. It's what we enjoy. Put those together. We don't all get together to have a miserable time. We get together to laugh. And so that was something that surprised me how well it came together, those two worlds. And it did, not only for me, but for everybody involved. I don't know anybody who's upset at the way it came out. I don't know anybody who didn't learn to laugh through it, you know, like we did. So, so that was kind of a life lesson. Well, I definitely, I know I appreciate every chance I can get to kind of have that, that connection with people that you can get through a, a particularly good piece of theater, giving you a, uh, a perspective you might not have had before and a way to kind of uh, just learn to, to be able to enjoy things a little more. So mm-hmm. I know, Absolutely. I know you've, um, you've had a lot of, um, I know you've had a lot of opportunities to, to kind of build on your legacy, even since the last time we talked about it. I didn't realize this, but with, with what Casey had just said with, uh, uh another, uh, potential high score being even the right around the time that we talked to you the last time, how has this kind of, how has this dovetailed or has it dovetailed? Uh, in in a way that can can kind of build uh, the legacy to get people to see how cool the classic gaming was. Has it has it had a really positive effect? Like I hope it has. Oh yeah, it absolutely did. On the first time that I met Casey and the crew, um, I was there. The maybe it was the following night. Um, maybe it was again the second day or the second evening just prior to the show, and I didn't have any intention. I just walked up and played Donkey Kong. Actually, I played a really good game, and I said, okay, that's enough. <laughs> and, and Casey says, no, 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 play again. I don't I think you ever just play Donkey Kong. <laughs> yeah, I go, well, you know, it's 
it's probably getting a little close to the to the show, meaning within three hours or so. She goes, oh, no, it's fine. Go ahead and play. So I said, okay. And, I mean, it was casual. I hit play, and it's going, and it's going, and it's going, and it's gotten real serious. I couldn't see the hundreds of people that were watching on the stream because the chat was shut off. I didn't know that they were streaming it on every TV in the place because they weren't within my view. <laughs> and the score's climbing and climbing, and I gained a reality as to what was going on. And I called Casey over, who was watching uh, on the screen and enjoying the game, just like you sit and enjoy a basketball game. And I called her over, and I said, stand here. And I says, don't let me go over a million forty-seven thousand. She says, why not? She goes, you got extra boards? You got extra guys? I said, no. Keep reminding me of the score. I'm playing, I'm playing. And there, in a casual setting, or at least what began as a casual setting, in the environment that she created with the play, in the arcade of you know one of her sponsors, I sat there and I matched the world record. And, I, and just to be me, just so nobody thinks too well of me, and just so everybody realizes I'm just a tad bit overconfident or arrogance when I reached that when I reached that world record score I killed it on the spot just to be me mm-hmm. and um, just to aggravate everybody in the room too <laughs> and my point is I just sat down to play a game now the fact that I went and I went to the musical and it was opening night and I was I was in a public venue which was the sponsors barcade and I was playing and everybody's watching and there streaming and in front of the world too, whoever cared to watch, you know, I matched the world record. Um, I didn't plan that. She didn't plan that. She didn't plan that when she wrote that. When I flew there, I had no idea I'd even be put in that position. Um, so. You didn't even particularly want to play Donkey Kong that day. <laughs> yeah. I said, I go, no, nah, I go, I go really, I played a good game. I'll, we'll do something else. She goes, no, no, I'll play one more. Oh, all right. Well, all right. I'll play one more. <laughs> and I played one more. And the game was so good and so right. The situation was so perfect. Um, when it was all done, we had to race off to the musical, and we were all late getting there. So, <laughs> Sounds like a good game. So the, the the show got off about five minutes late. So we should we should definitely maybe recount that story. When <laughs> you tell the crowd that the show's getting off five minutes late, we're getting started now five minutes late because Billy Mitchell had to go back and he had to replay a world record that he did, and he did it successfully. Uh, the crowd kind of likes it, so it worked out okay. Nice. <laughs> Forgiving. <laughs> so I've, I've kind of noticed that since this, since this performance, since this play has kind of kicked off about a year ago, that your, your visibility has grown even more. You've done more stuff on Twitch. There's more stuff on Twitter a lot of the social media stuff, like, do you think your visibility and the availability has kind of coincided with this uh, musical being out there? Well, the truth is, um, probably the least engaged social media person, you know, and if you want to call me a celebrity, I am definitely the least engaged celebrity. (laughs) Whatever little social media I have out there. Is, norm, is normally handled by somebody else and not me. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is that because the musical creates a level of fun, a level of humor, a level of entertainment and enjoyment, it does put a whole different vision of the social media. Um, people who say they saw it, people who said 
Gio's is the last one where you're going to be there again. And because you're there, because you shake hands, because you meet people, because you make friends, it makes the social media to someone like me, it makes it more enjoyable. And it, again, the world of fun and humor, competitive gaming, but in real life, it meshes it all together to the point that, yeah, you actually look forward to it. So the answer to your question is yes. I have found, too, I... I've had more luck producing a play in a sea of new faces and over the course of social media with gamers. Um, like our friend Tom Malloy, who he's a, a moderator on Bill's Twitch stream. Like, you know, he keeps haters out and he'll block negative comments or like weird links and stuff. Um, this guy doesn't know me from Adam, really, but we're Facebook friends. We talk, exchange arcade stuff. And uh, he just sent us, like, a really nice camera so that we could record stuff better and have a better presence on social media, put some YouTube videos up, um, put some clips of the show up, um, some panels that Bill has done, and just be able to have a little bit more presence and reach more people. And I think that's really had a big effect on the visibility of my theater company and just our future work. Like, I, I feel like we're in a better spot as a theater now that we've crossed over into gaming a little bit. So it's been very symbiotic. <laughs> you say that, Bort, are we in a better world of gaming since we've crossed over into theater? Maybe you can say it backwards, too. Uh, this is true. Yeah, maybe. I hope so. Well, we can We can always... There, there's such a large world out there with, with so much that we're kind of bombarded with at any given time that we can choose as our form of entertainment, just as Casey was talking about with us a few minutes ago, that some of the things that were so precious and new and amazing can sometimes be left by the wayside for no other reason than it's been around for a little while now and it maybe has... Uh, it's it's not the the brand new Xbox One whatever it is that came out, but there's a certain amount of there's a certain amount of feeling that you can get out of some of this that you just can't get with some of the current video games that are out there. Um, it's it, it no can, no you're correct. For example, the different icons we talk about, you know whether they're Mario, you know whether it's um, Pac Man. You know, whether it's Frogger, they're icons that are made to our society. Yeah, me. <laughs> um, they're icons that have made their way into society. And, um, you know, they pop up in different ways, different areas. They pop up on television. They pop up on programming. Um, you know, I mean, if you ever meet, you'll meet people day after day who, when you say, um, you know, um, all of beauty, you know, or something like that, uh, Counter-Strike, although mm. I know it and you know what it is, they would just shrug their shoulders. Right. Um, if somebody were to look at you and say that they didn't know what Pac-Man was, you should run because it's probably Rip Van Winkle when he just woke up. And, well, well, you know, right. it, it, originally it, his name was uh, Paku Paku Man, and uh, that means to flap your lips uh, in Japanese, and they had to change it. <laughs> How many times have you heard, uh, uh, mm. that's just one of the things, how many times have you heard a quote from Scott Pilgrim <laughs> dealing with classic gaming by now? <laughs> how many times total? Yeah, I, 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 uh, I, it has zero. to be in the hundreds of thousands, right? <laughs> well, or zero, or somewhere in between. 
Oh. Yeah, I was like, you might have just said a bunch of words that he had no clue. Oh, okay. <laughs> now now I have a movie re- recommendation that, that, that Mr. Mitchell should definitely watch. If he has not seen uh, uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, it is a fantastic ode to uh, classic video gaming uh, set in a very strange world. I actually think you would like that movie. <laughs> yeah. It is. It is. It is kind of fantastic. All right. There's very few movies I like, but we shall see. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Well, I'd only recommend it just because it, it's so close to your wheelhouse. But uh, I appreciate that very much. So he hasn't even seen the movies he's in. <laughs> really? No, I, I, I actually don't. I, I don't watch any of the films that I'm in. And the idea that I've actually seen the musical actually bucks the system of what I do. And um, been in the musical. Again, yeah. Again, to sit there and look at the musical and find all kinds of fun in the way that it's created and to laugh with it is easy. If I watch a movie, being that I have a anal personality. I sit there and I would find everything they did wrong. Every time they switched the scene time-wise for creativity, for drama, every time they left something out, why did they leave it out? Why did they add that in at this point? We filmed that six months later. And I, I think, I, I, think I, would, I wouldn't have the enjoyment that I have with a musical. Um, and so I've never really been one to watch the things that I'm in and I mean, I've even had people that I respect tremendously. You know, they've told me, you know, don't watch the stories about you. Don't read the articles about you. Um, it'll be flattered. You'll impress yourself. You know, you'll lose your edge. You know, you'll lose your passion. When you're an old man and you no longer do it anymore, and you can look back, you can read it. You can relive it. You can have fun. And I've, I've taken that advice to heart. I actually, I mean, there's times when I'm at a theater and there's a movie playing that I'm in and I'm out front and I'm taking pictures and saying hi and talking to people and the movie's going and going and the movie comes to an end. And I actually prefer it that way. (laughs) Jim Carrey told me that he's never seen a single film he's been in. And he said, "Why, why would I watch that which I already created? I created it. Somebody else went in an editing room and manipulated what I created, I don't even see the manipulation. I've experienced that which was real. I think that's true. All right, so another question, and this is is serious business here. How's the hot sauce Uh business? (laughs) How is it? What about the sauce, though? Um... Well, let me see. There was an article in the um, Picayune Times, which is in New Orleans, that the hot sauce business has gone up from um, 12 to 17% every year for the last 20 years. Uh, they say there's more hot sauce consumed now than ketchup. I don't know if that's true, and I don't think it's true. I wish it was true. It would sure help me. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is it's, um, it's what I know, and it's, it's what I know. And I would argue that I know it better than anyone in the world. Um, it's what's brought me um, the success and the liberty that I have in order to travel and do some of the other things that um, I enjoy 
it's given me the freedom to, you know, cater to my family, cater to my kids, not being on such a hardened schedule. I can proudly say that as my kids grew up, I never, ever, ever, one time, ever, not once, did I miss an event. I never missed the, you know, the turkey lunch at school. I never missed a Christmas party that they had at school. I never missed a play. I never missed anything, not once. Well, I credit that good fortune to the hot sauce business. I easily recognize the good fortune I have. Easy, easy in every aspect from business, you know, to gaming, to family. I mean, I easily recognize the good fortune I've had. I mean, I don't have another way to describe it other than good fortune. And I, I do balance that because depending on the frame of mind, um, the success I've had, say, in gaming, I don't apologize for my success. If someone doesn't <laughs> like it, they shouldn't read about it. Mm. But by the same token, depending how you catch me, I acknowledge the tremendous amount of good fortune I've had. Timing is everything. I was lucky enough to always be in the right place at the right time. I was always there when the wheel went around. So I always had the opportunity to have good fortune. And without that opportunity to have the good fortune, things wouldn't have fell together. But by that same token, if I didn't have the hard work that I put into it and the time that I put into it, um, success would have never came. Luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And every time I had the opportunity, I was well prepared. So it goes hand in hand. But I never forget the good fortune I've had because um, because I have to appreciate it. That's always definitely good advice, and I, I definitely agree with that. I, I want to thank uh, both you, Mr. Mitchell, and uh, you, Miss Ross, for taking the opportunity, uh, for us having the opportunity to, to speak with you and uh, catch up and see how things uh, have kind of progressed and get a, get a better understanding of, of this kind of unique so you, musical. So, you, so you, had the, you had the opportunity to speak to us. Yes. And you were <laughs> Sounds like you got lucky. <laughs> I, I definitely feel yeah. lucky. <laughs> Very good. Thank you again so much. Uh, yeah, I appreciate talking, everybody. Thank you for your time. And uh, yep. I appreciate it. You guys have a wonderful evening, all right? All right, you too. All right. Talk to y'all later. Bye-bye. Man, that was just too much fun. And you know what? I, I realized that I had forgotten to to give uh, was a just a standing ovation to the, the wonderful work that they've done. Uh, <laughs> Got to mix that whole track in there now. Oh, geez. <laughs> Just for that one. Just for that one. You better push that all those buttons a bunch more times. That's time. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's a lot of effort, but uh, I don't have any good puns or anything. But uh... <laughs> yeah, no, that doesn't work so well. No. You got to have something funny first. It just doesn't doesn't go. But. <laughs> So, talking about things that don't make sense and things that might not go, that brings us to our next subject, uh, DC Comics. I, I don't understand what's happening here. District of Columbia Comics, yes. Mm, yes. Uh, so, if 
any of you who have been paying attention to the news, there's been a couple of stories about DC Comics within the last uh, the last week or so. Uh, there has been a change of a change of leadership a little bit in terms of the the publishing giant. There's apparently some behind the scenes stuff going on, potentially just rumors I've heard about that. Uh, but the the grabbing headline that that caught my attention was uh, that AT and T. Uh, if 5G does not go well, has the potential to shut down the publishing arm of DC. Naturally. Right. Um, and you might be asking yourself, how could 5G fail for AT&T? They've got phones everywhere. Everybody's doing 5G. Uh, Verizon is, AT&T is, T-Mobile is. And what does that have to do with DC? Well, uh, a couple of different things. Uh, first of all, uh, AT&T owns Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers owns DC. <laughs> so that is a subsidiary of a subsidiary uh, that they have complete control over should they wish to really be difficult about things. But uh, it, it's one of those um, headlines that's slightly misleading because if you're not a comic book fan, you don't realize that there's also a 5G event going on with DC in the sense that they've rebooted the universe or are in the process of rebooting the universe potentially for uh, another time they're calling it that 5g all those characters who are dead they're now alive potentially you never know what's going to happen with a reboot they just want to completely start things from scratch uh so so here's the thing about the the dc reboots it's really really frustrating to me and i understand why they're done in one respect but just don't on the other um so the whole concept of a reboot is is so that people can become fans and don't have to absorb all of the history of the characters in the process of doing so. And it gives a lot of the uh, authors uh, a chance to write new stories, maybe change some elements of some characters and try something different, which can be very appealing, but also has the the consequence of alienating the existing readership uh, sometimes not always but it often can i know for me uh, a few years back uh, i was really heavy into collecting dc uh, sometimes i'm heavier sometimes i'm lighter on both dc and marvel and some of the independents but especially with the uh, the blackest night storyline and the war of light leading up to that uh, the Jeff Johns run on Green Lantern. Oh my lord, I loved that run so much. It was it was great. And you'll never see any of that stuff put in a good visual medium, other than a cartoon, maybe. Yeah, that's that's more than likely accurate. But then they started doing a reboot, and the only thing that really didn't get touched was the Green Lantern stuff. Everything else changed, and I have to, I'm trying to cast my mind back, and I think it had something to do with the fact that probably he goes, don't touch this. It's working. <laughs> we don't want to change this storyline around. Um, but by that point, after that run was done, any of my interest in uh, any of the other comics that could potentially have gained my attention is just was just gone they reset all of the characters that i really liked and changed them in ways that didn't make sense and some of the history didn't line up anymore and just all sorts of other stuff and i just stopped collecting um yeah that that would be the thing so i'm obviously not the collector um but that would be something that as a collector to me would be 
super frustrating. Characters have a history, maybe sometimes too much of a history, and I get that, but you can streamline that history, right? If you're going to start all over again, do you have to create a whole new history or a whole new background? Like that part, I don't, I don't quite get. You know, Marvel's done a little bit of that too. Well, but, they, they their resets work a little differently. But yeah, but more yeah. So normally, when Marvel does a big event that's intended to shuffle things around, they don't ignore the previous history. It all still exists. Everything is there. It's not like you've just started from scratch. And in some ways you kind of have, but in most respects, if you, everything that happened still happened. They didn't erase anything. And that's the big difference in that. Now it causes its own problems when you do it that way. But I think this all stems from an issue that could have been taken care of very early on and maybe too late to address now. But they have to let characters die. It just has to happen. Superman died. Yeah. Let them stay dead. Characters have to die and stay dead. And if you want to write a flashback uh, story about one of the characters, or even occasionally maybe bring someone back with some magic or some time travel or whatever, occasionally, that's fine. But you have to let development occur. And that way... You already get that reset that you're doing these grand gestures with because, uh, let's say, you actually let Nightwing become Batman because Bruce Wayne gets killed or it retires or whatever. Now it's, it's a new chapter and people can come in and they only really have to know the history of, of Nightwing a little bit, but not really. And they kind of know the new Batman. Mm-hmm. And you got the next one training. They've art DC specifically has this set up so well because they've got kind of junior sidekick versions of all the characters already. Let them advance. Just do it. This is the only way you're ever going to get anywhere in that regard. You've got you've got to let development happen, even if it's at a, um, a reduced rate in time where it's not quite realistic in how they age. You still just gotta let it happen. I'm sorry. I mean, Bart's been the same age for how many years now? Yeah, and who watches The Simpsons anymore? Somebody does. It's on Fox. Yeah, that, I I wouldn't put too much stock in that. Um, but, you know, so on top of that, there's another rumor that goes along with this, that if things go poorly enough, rather than just shutting off the publishing arm, that it's possible they may throw it over to Marvel to run, which seems odd, potentially unrealistic. <laughs> uh, uh, from what I understand, the two companies do not like each other very much. Well, if you got good writers and you got smart people. Yeah. I mean, uh, what, does it really matter? I, I think it could be really interesting if that happened because uh, um, they're, they brought up like Kevin Feige specifically, but having people that have already shown that they can create properties for film and television that are successful related to these comic books then coming back in and writing those comics themselves, that could be very, very interesting. Um, and if they did throw it to Marvel to do, that would allow for some interesting crossover, some real crossover that has never happened before. And 
I'm intrigued at that possibility. Maybe, except for the fact there's like already 500 million characters. And just to add another 500 million characters, a little overload, a little saturation. Uh, I don't know. I, li- I like it. I-, I-, I like more characters. It makes me happy. Well, if you just stick to a certain world, yeah. right? Like a certain level of that world where in DC Universe there is a character base and there's 50 characters or sub-characters. If you just stick to like the main 10, maybe... But if you start getting into like the low level or like the occasional ones that just show up from time to time, but then you start piling all those in there, it just gets a little overkill. Well, I think I think the the key way to do it is you still keep DC separate. They're their own entity. They're their own universe. But you just have the occasional crossover. If you read the the JLA Avengers crossover that they did a number of years ago, it's maybe my favorite of the ones that they did do because I did not like the amalgam. That was just awful. Um, it was an interesting idea that I just don't think worked very well. But uh, the JLA um, Avengers crossover was well-written. Everybody got to shine pretty equally. Uh, it was an excellent example of how to do a crossover. But the problem is the, there were no lasting impact. And it w- it was, but it wasn't canon. The only thing that really lasted was the, the main villain of that particular storyline, Krona, ended up showing back up in the DC universe as one of the original elders of the universe. And then, um, or not elders, I called him an elder. I'm going Marvel on you here. Uh, one of the guardians of the universe. Um, and, and so his character kind of morphed and they did some things with it. And it was really interesting, but they only kind of, they did, but they didn't really address that as actually having happened. And, uh, the, just the the tantalizing taste of being able to actually say, "Oh yes, there's this one time we met Captain America," <laughs> which is kind of in it and it's canon, and that is that is a fantastic idea in my mind. So long as you keep it, so long as you keep it special, and it doesn't happen all the time, and it's handled the right way, it can be just phenomenal and and wonderful. But more importantly. Would it make money? Oh, good lord, yes, it would. If if they because the the regular crossovers sometimes made some money, but people didn't pay a whole lot of attention to them for the most part because it it wasn't real. It never really counted for anything. It's it's kind of like um, a great example is to use wrestling. So um, a lot of times you'll have a big wrestling event back in the day where this is the score, to, uh, this is the thing to end all scores and everything's going to be, there's a major title change. And the next day at the, the, the WWE Raw or whatever, the title goes right back to somebody else. It was there and it never really mattered at all. You just basically shelled out money for no particularly good reason. It leaves a bad pay, bad taste. But if you can have something that has a lasting impact of some kind, or let's say if you go really crazy and one Marvel character moves over to the DC Universe or one DC character moves over to the Marvel Universe, maybe somebody that it hasn't been doing too well is in, uh, is in decline in terms of who's interested in it, that could be really interesting. Or one Marvel character kills a DC character. That would cause a, a probably a riot uh, <laughs> one way or the other. But it still could be interesting. 
Um, but yeah, so that's that's what's happening in the world of comics, sort of. And big companies that like to buy other big companies that buy other slightly smaller companies. And then your fate is left in the hands of some CEOs that maybe have no idea what they're doing and no real vested interest in an art form that is fantastic. Um, they are vested in the stockholders. Stupid stockholder. Anyway, <laughs> you know, we just have to take a deep breath and... Whatever happens, we will smile, we will be polite, we will take it in stride. You know what else you do in stride? What's that, Richard? You walk uh, briskly down an aisle with a shopping cart. <laughs> right? You know. I, I love that's, that's an excellent segue. Okay, I love yeah. it. I love it. So, it occurred to me the other day, as I was going through... Um, target uh, a little something uh, etiquette shopping cart etiquette so this just applies to a lot of places a grocery store is one place uh, target uh, any any place that's got a lot of stuff in it and a lot of aisles and you can have a shopping cart in it so that's I mean there are a lot of places that have shopping carts in them so the the, the thing that came to my mind is our particular target that we've got in town has a lot of stuff in it, a lot. And so the aisles that are in Target are very narrow. There are There's room for two carts, you know, one going one way, one going the other way. Um, when you go through the main aisles in Target, they're, uh, there's loaded in the middle of the aisle with just all types of nonsense. So once again, there's just not a lot of space to go one way or the other. So my observation was, when you are in a store and you're walking or you're pushing a shopping cart, don't you treat it like you would the road? Like if you're in a car, I mean, wouldn't you stick to the right side of the aisle? I'm going down this way, so I'm going to stick on the right side. If I'm going down this aisle, I'm going to stick to the right side. I'm coming out of an aisle, and I want to turn right or left, but there are other people walking down the aisle. Like, don't you? Don't stop. Stop and look <laughs> to see that there are other people coming. And my growing observation is that no, no one cares. Well, but but Richard, when I'm at the store, I'm in my own little world and nobody else exists other than me. So it's the same thing in the car, too. Right. It, it, I, I have my cart and I realize, oh, I need that bit of uh, oatmeal cookies that's in the center of the aisle. Uh, and by center, I mean, you know, on the right-hand side. But I'm going to put my cart in the center of the aisle and then go over and stand in front of the cookies aisle. Which oatmeal cookies did I want? And now I'm blocking the entire aisle. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It drives me insane, and especially if you're walking. Like, so sometimes you're just walking down the aisle because you want to get from point A to point B. And then somebody just, it's, it's like you're driving down the road going 60. And then someone pulls out in front of you, even though there's no one behind you. And they'll go 40. It's the same thing in the store. Like, I just don't get it. Like, I, I, I've tried to I've tried to figure this out, too. And uh, I actually read there's a, a study that just came out. There's an article about it, too. It was the types of vehicles that people have are kind of correlated to whether they're a um, jerk or not. The more ex it, it, they, they did a, an extensive study on it. And the more expensive car you had, 
the jerk factor went up proportionately with it. So I'm wondering if those some same people, when they're in a cart or they're in a store, interact the same way as well, which is complete oblivion to everybody else around them. I bet that's I bet that's probably true. And what we should have, we should have different kinds of carts in the store that match the kinds of cars too, so that we'll just know those people way in advance. Yeah. So there's the Ferrari cart. Uh, it cost yeah, them fifty dollars just to get the cart. But they'd be okay with paying. But they'd be okay. Yeah. Yeah. So once again, just an observation. Now this could be this could be true in really any store. It doesn't have to be pushing a cart, but it's if you're walking. I guess unless you're in some other country, tell me that I'm wrong, but you should treat your interactions when you're walking just as if you were driving a car, plain and simple. Well, okay, sort of. Now, because if we're thinking about that, uh, we talk about people from other countries, uh, they drive on the other side of the road. So does that mean that they're going to walk on the other side of the aisle? Okay, so you go to Australia, because you're an American, are you going to drive on the right-hand side of the road? No, you're going to obey the laws of that country, right? Right. So it, it would it would figure that if you go to the store, you would treat that with the same type of... Same basic rules. You, you, it'd be intuitive in, in that sense, you would think. I can get behind that. But once again, just a, a frustrating observation. And of course, if you... If you are the person walking and someone pulls out their cart in front of you, uh, you're the jerk, of course, because then they look at you like, well, what are you doing? And, and I've often wondered what type, like what you have to do as a consumer walking in there to get people to n- notice or pay attention or, I don't know, learn how to act like a human being. I guess it's hard to explain. Hit them with your cart thought about it many times <laughs> too many lawsuits nowadays yeah that's that's probably not really the the polite thing to do um oh ooh, you could act like you're sick mm. oh you just give it like that huh i didn't see you there um as i was walking down the aisle just start coughing in their general direction they'll they'll move they will move quickly yes <laughs> especially nowadays with everything that's like, going on just be like ah, i'm sorry just got back from China, and I have the worst jet lag. <laughs> Watching their eyes get really big. Yeah, they told me I was supposed to wear this mask, but I'm sorry. I just I can't. I can't. It's not fashionable. It's too hot. Yeah, yeah. It's just not going to work. Oh man! But you know, truthfully, that's not just a kind of a cart thing or a driving thing. It's it's pretty much everything. I mean, the best four days in gaming, we talked about Gen Con a little mm-hmm. earlier. They have the entire convention hall just teeming with people constantly. And the main uh, the main floor where all of the different games and everything are, are fairly wide uh, for the most part. I mean, you can usually fit about four people shoulder to shoulder, sometimes five across these aisles okay well that means one person can be on one side looking at something at a booth right another person on the other side looking at something at a booth but that rooms there's room for more people to be coming and going absolutely and you even have it uh, generally you got like one going one direction one going the other sometimes even two going one direction one going the other it can work never works not once uh, because of the number of people that go there, you still get the occasional, and by occasional I mean a regular person that will just stop 
in the middle of the aisle, look around for a minute, and just completely clog the entire aisle. Or they, they've met someone there, and then they stop in the middle, yeah. and they conversate about whatever, whatever, completely oblivious to the 30,000 people trying to move around them. Right. Or the people that are looking at the booth. Now, sometimes this can't be helped, but... If the booth that you're looking at is super popular, you might get some extra people standing around it. But for the most part, there's no reason to be two or three deep behind a booth. You need to move to the side or wait your turn something. Uh, there are there are how many aisles that they have at any given time? Go to a different booth. Chances are what you're looking for is somewhere else. <laughs> so just stop being a punk. Or you know, move to the right or the left of the booth and get closer, even though you're not center stage, just like be courteous. I don't know. Right. Right. I don't know if we're ever going to get to the point in a society where we can, where we can think about the other people. Cause I have to believe that to a certain extent too, even as I sit here talking about this with you, I have to have done some boneheaded stuff myself. Just, that's just not, not thinking of the other people around me uh, when I didn't even realize I was doing something that was completely messing up someone else's day to a certain extent. But unintentional, where un- you you have the conscientiousness to know, but in that instance, something happened. Most of the time, it's just like, people don't care. That's what it is. Yeah, well, we can hope. Maybe we'll advance as a as a society. We'll advance as a people and uh, just become nicer to each other. But uh, yes, listeners, we encourage you: be kind. Yeah. Walk down the right side of the aisle. Drive down the right direction of of whatever road that you're driving, or maybe even if it's just the parking lot that you're in. If all of the cars are pointing in one direction. Mm. Drive that direction. You don't need to back into your space or pull through into something else. That's a whole nother subject. Yeah, that's a whole nother subject. Not that we might have uh, any particular insight into that, but what do you think? Uh, are, are, are you a conscientious, uh, conscientious, that is impossible to say, conscientious cart user? Conscientious. That's a hard enough... Hard. I'm done. (laughs) It's now midnight. Okay. Um, But uh, let us know how how these things affect you in your favorite grocery store chain or in your local uh, (laughs) co-op, I guess, wherever it is that you shop. Co-op, yes. (laughs) But uh, let us know. We'd love to hear from you on our social media that we mentioned earlier or on our website. And uh, just as a small reminder... Very soon, there will be some exciting stuff coming up. We have a new feature that uh, is associated with the comic book movie database. We'll be expanding and doing something new. Our kind of test date area that we're looking at is going to be in June, we're hoping. Uh, there will be more information, more specific information, I'm thinking, within the next few episodes. And maybe tell you about something really, really neat that will be going along with it. But until next time, be nice to your your fellow shoppers and go support your local theater. 